we're going to talk about the responsibility of grace. Uh, <clears throat> Seems like every time I get up to preach, the allergies kick in, so y'all have to bear with me, hopefully. We'll try to drown it with a glass of water here. We're going to do a little bit of deliverance this morning also. Uh, there's two things that we want to deal with, and, and I want to deal with one of them at the start. It's probably not anybody in here, okay? But it's those that are missing. <laughs> They're the ones that needed it. And that's a victim spirit. A victim spirit is one that makes you feel like that you just, everybody don't like you, that nothing goes right for you, and you want everybody to give you something. And that pretty well sums up our nation right now. So in case that we don't, you know, we'll just do it here, although nobody here has that spirit, okay? <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, we break that victim spirit yes. over this church, over this city, Amen. over this whole country, over the United States. We break that victim spirit. Thank you, Lord. And Father, we thank you right now that you're going to let them see that they're perfect in you. In the name of Jesus. Okay, this is going to be a tag team today. <clears throat> I like the teaching of the old man and the new man. The reason it gives me relief from, my, from having to do work performance-based things to please God. Amen. You know, when it, it, at one time in my life, it seemed like if I wanted to do something before I did it, I'd read a chapter in the Bible and start to pray. And it never failed when I would start reading the Bible. God say, you ought to be praying. And I thought it was God. So I'd put my Bible down, and I'd start to pray. He said, instead of praying, you ought to be reading the Bible. See, I was just tossed to and fro. I didn't know where that voice was coming from. I assumed it was from God because I was a godly man. But I later found out it wasn't. It was this Satan playing ping pong with this old man. However, it does not release us from the responsibility of doing something for God. <clears throat> balance is always a hard thing. Uh, it's a hard thing to grasp. We want to be doing something for God, but at the same time, it brings confusion because we don't want to get in the flesh. One thing I know is God will put a desire in your heart. And that desire is from him. This is how he begins to speak to us. Now, you can have desires in the old man. I'm not talking about wanting a new motorcycle. I'm talking about you've got a desire to do something, and it just doesn't go away. And it gets stronger and stronger. And the only way you get relief from it is to give in and let God have his way. That's one of the ways God speaks to you. That's one of the ways that you begin to do the works of God. It's the desire in your heart is placed there. And by faith, you believe that that desire is from God. I don't claim to have all the answers. <clears throat> but there's some things that the Bible gives us answers to. 
Instructions to help us in this confusion. See, confusion is not from God. The author of confusion is the devil. So if we get confused about what we really want to do, we just toss to and fro. He says, don't let a man think that he shall receive anything from God if he's tossed to and fro. He's like the waves of a sea just kicked about. But you see, when you really get a, a, a burning in your, in your spirit to do something for God, that's God speaking to you. It's God speaking to you. We are seated with him in a heavenly realm, but physically we're not taken out of this world. But we're left here for a purpose. And I want to read you a little bit of, of uh, scripture here on John 17. Starting with verse 11. And Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying for me and you. He says, now I'm no longer, I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through your own name those whom thou hast given me, that, I may be, that they may be one as we are one. See, Jesus praying, we're going to be one with him. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that they gave me I have kept, and none of them was lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and the things I speak in this world, that they might have my joy, Fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated me, because they, had, they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. I pray not that I should take them out of this world, but that I should keep them from evil. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And as thou hast sent me in the world, even so now I send them into the world. And for their sake I sanctify myself, and they might also be sanctified through the truth. One of the ways that we begin to know the will of God is we are sanctified. God sanctified us. So we've got to change our mental thinking about what we are. We're in this world for a purpose. Jesus said we're not of this world, but we are in the world for a purpose. What is that purpose? When we see our purpose, we can have confidence in our spiritual walk with God. See, this is what it's all about, is your confidence in God. If you don't know whether you're in the will of God, you don't have that confidence. But when God speaks to you, and sometimes it goes contrary to what everybody else is telling you you should do. If they're telling you what you should do, that may not be from God. But with the desire that's in your heart, you have to make your own decision as to where that desire is coming from. Everybody's purpose is unique and that there's no part of his plan, that he, that he has a part of his plan for your life. He makes you unique, but man tried to change that. He said... Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew every part about you. Jeremiah 1 5, Matthew 10 13 says, Even the hair on your head is numbered. That's how unique you are. I think as you get more spiritual 
you begin to lose a little bit of hair here and there. It's not as hard for him to keep up with that way. Okay. <clears throat> you are perfect just as you are. Now, here's the thing that, that very few people realize. When you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew every part about you. He knew how tall you was going to be, how short you was going to be, how thin you was going to be, how wide you was going to be, and you're perfect the way that he made you. Now, man comes in and says, that's not right. Everybody should look, all you men should look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I almost made it, but not quite. And he said, you women, you got to, you know how it is. But you see, the way that you're made is the way that God intended for you to be. Because he has a purpose. And in that purpose, whatever you look like is going to be perfect in God's sight. And so we, we try to, to change what God has already said is perfect. And we get put down and pretty soon we get this rejection thing. Well, I just don't look right. I want to tell you, you look right because you look like what God made you. He forms you in your mind. He said, I knew every part about you. I knew everything about you. I knew what your life was going to be like. And I have this plan that when you come into Christ Jesus, I'm going to start working this plan in your life. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, <clears throat> I only know of one person that God gave that plan to in a broader sense, and that was Paul. When he knocked him off of his horse going to Damascus and they let him in, God spoke to this servant by the name of Ananias. And I liked the response. God said, Ananias? He said, here I am, Lord. And he told him, says, I want you to go and uh, you're going to lay hands on this guy and I'm going to tell him all the things he's going to suffer for my main sake. Now, aren't you glad that God didn't tell you everything you're going to suffer? Most of us would probably checked out of this thing a long time ago. But he said, I'm going to show you everything you're going to that you're going to suffer for my name's sake. And he kept it, and he told him, and he gave a, Paul a vision of his purpose. See, part of his purpose, he, he was going to preach in Rome. And it didn't matter what happened between then. He was stoned to death one time, thrown outside the city, and his disciples raised him from the dead. He was shipwrecked. I mean, everything you can think about, beaten, thrown in stocks, everything that happened to him, but he never lost his vision that God said, you're going to preach in Rome. And the Catholics can thank him for that. He set up the Vatican. He did. You look it up. He did everything that God said for him to and his last days, he was in a house preaching the gospel of Christ. I knew a, a, a young man that <clears throat> went to ORU that decided to be a priest. And I shook my head and I thought, how can a guy that goes to ORU decide to be a priest? But he did. And he was sent to the Vatican. And I was talking to him. 
And he said, what did you do? I said, what did you do over there? He said, well, the Pope asked me to set up a tour for Christians. You know, that kind of, wow. And I said, well, did you do it? And he said, yes, I did. He said, uh, the, the Pope was worried about people come over to sightsee, and they go to see the Colosseum and where people were beheaded and they fed to the lions and all that kind of stuff. But I want the Christians to see their inheritance here. So he said, I set up a bus tour. And in my swift mind, I was thinking, well, a bus, two buses. And I said, well, how many buses did you have? He said, 40. And I said, where'd you take them? He said, well, I took them where all Paul went and the place that he was beheaded. And said, it's recorded what Paul said when he was be- just before he was beheaded. And he was quiet. What do you say? He said, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he finished his course. He finished his course. Now, you and I have a responsibility to grace. The responsibility of knowing that you're led by God is, is basically two things. It says you shall be led out with joy and peace. If you don't have peace about what you're doing... Leave it alone. But if you have a peace, if God puts a desire in your heart and you have a peace that that's God, then go for it. Now then, grace is a hard experience that changes your life. The Greek says it's a divine influence upon your heart and its reflection seen in your life. What does reflection mean? It means you're doing what God wants you to do. You're doing what God wants you to do. That's grace in your life. It says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then I seen something I'd never seen before. It says he was a just man, perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Now Enoch was his great-grandfather. He not only walked with God, he went with God. But I'd never seen that Noah also walked with God. That's what the scripture says. And it's the same walk as it talks about in Enoch. Grace, cheerfulness, calmness, happiness, being led with peace. God puts a desire in your spirit to do something. And because it seems that there's a lot of obstacles, we reason away our peace. And make decisions based on what we feel is our own efforts. Boy, I've been there and done that. Made my own decisions. 99.9% of the time, it didn't work. It just didn't work. But when God tells you to do something, he puts that peace in your heart and that decision in your heart, this is what I want you to do, you're going to have obstacles coming against it. You've got to keep that peace. You can't let your 
your uh, old man take over and start trying to figure out how you can do it. Elijah was a man of God. I mean, in the Bible, he, he's a giant. He is a giant of a man. And after he came to the king and says, there's going to be famine in this land. And he knew the king wasn't going to like it, so the king was going to try to kill him. And God told him, he says, I want you to go to this brook, and there I have commanded the ravens to feed you. See, that was provision. God made a provision before he ever told the king there's going to be a drought. He'd already commanded the ravens to go to this certain place and feed him. Now, the secret to it, if Elijah went someplace else, the provision was still here. And he would have missed the provision of God. You've got to go where God tells you to go. Because when he tells you to go, there's no way in the world that you can see that it'll work. But God's got a provision for you. He'll never tell you to go somewhere that he don't have a provision for you. But you can't get that provision until you get there. I remember uh, Jacob Kirian, he's a little guy from India, preaches here once in a while. God told him to go to India one time. And he looked in his wallet, and he had $20. So he went in and packed his bags, went to the airport, and got in the ticket line with $20 in his pocket to go to India. And he was standing in line, and this guy tapped him on the shoulder and says, You're Jacob, aren't you? He said, Yes, sir. He said, Well, God says give you my ticket. He said, I was going to India, but I can't go there now. Here's my ticket to India. Now, see, God had a provision. But if he'd have reasoned within himself and tried to do a fundraiser, probably wouldn't have worked. Probably wouldn't have worked. God, uh, grace brings you the promises. God does the provision. Amen. Now, I told you this was a tag team. Charlotte's going to come up here. See, when I found out I was going to teach on this, I said, I want you to do something. Help. <laughs> I, no, not help. I said, I need you. <laughs> anyway, Charlotte, come on up. She's got a couple of things she wants to share. Miss Gail will be so proud of me. I reused a printer paper. <laughs> the printer kept spitting it out, and I didn't want to throw it away. So, anyway, yeah, I want to share a little bit of testimony uh, about what I learned from Grace many years ago. I grew up in a very small little church in Bovina. 
And by the way, all of you bovina people, some are missing. You're here because of me. I prayed y'all down. The one from Farville, I had to pull a little bit harder, 12 more miles. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, but Bovina is a really wonderful little place to grow up in. The church that I grew up in at that time had some very powerful teachers. And there was a Mr. Kelly. Uh, he... And I know some of you don't know what training union is and what GAs are and all of that. But we used to have training union on Sunday night, which literally you were trained in the Word and other things. And Mr. Kelly was not only the training union teacher, but he was also the Sunday school teacher. He began to write off the first thing I can remember he wasn't so much on memorizing scripture as he was that you got it in your spirit. And um, he began with salvation. The first thing he did was teach us what was salvation, why should we have salvation. He taught on the three parts of the uh, body, soul, and spirit. He taught us about the Trinity. He used illustrations, and, and one of them was very vivid to me, was the fact that in order to get us to realize who we were in Christ, he took us out many times when we could see our shadows, and he'd say, you try to get away from your shadow. I, I, I really tried. I thought I'm going to prove him wrong. <laughs> but you couldn't, and he would say, that is Christ in you. You can never, ever get away from, uh, from Christ. He would, uh, he brought eggs one time, hard-boiled eggs, to show us about the Trinity. He um, would bring fruit. I remember peaches especially. He would bring one that was very pretty and very beautiful and cut it open. There'd be a seed inside. And he would say, uh, he'd say, look, there's a seed, and he'd show us, you know, the skin and the meat of the peach. And he would say, this seed remains. Well, the next time we had training union, the peach would be a little rotten, and he would make the statement, you can get as rotten to the core as you want to be, but the Spirit of the Lord is still in you. And he said, you can never get away from that seed that's been placed in you through Jesus Christ. He would just use illustration after illustration. Very godly man. And you know, from that, I, um, you know, I, you hear after you've grown up in a Baptist church sometime, you know, well, Baptists teach that once saved, always saved. Yes. And you, then you hear people saying, well, you treat grace too cheap. And I learned through that man and through other people in the church that no, grace is not cheap. What Christ did on the cross is not cheap. And you know, I so appreciate how the people of the church, the little Baptist church in Bovina, 
you know, instructed me in all those ways. They planted seeds that I, you know, grew very, very deep in my spirit. Um, I can honestly say that I have never questioned my salvation. Now, when I tell you that I've been baptized three times, you're going to say, you must have. Well, no, the first one took. The second two, one was a really cute boy at camp. And um, they had a swimming pool, so he got baptized, so I thought I might as well. The third time, I was a teenager, and I had a friend, and she said, I don't think you're saved. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, why don't we get baptized again? So I've been baptized three times. Mother worried about that, so one of the pastors told her, he said, don't worry about it. Said so she literally took it seriously. She was baptized in the Father and then the Son, and then the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but anyway, I've never really doubted my salvation. Um, you know, grace is not an extra event. It's not a thing that you do later. When You receive grace when you received Christ. They are the same. And... Uh, you know, we need to remember that, that we get that at the same time. Um, he also taught us who the enemy was. I don't know what General said it, but when he did tell us that one, he said, if our enemy is not defined, we cannot have victory over them. So he taught us that the devil, who he was, what he did, how he succeeded if we allowed him. And he, would, he said, all the D words are from the devil. I thought that was always funny. But I got to looking. Deceitfulness. Doubting. Disruptive. Disputing. Division. Downfall. A lot of them really are. But he taught us how to um, do spiritual battle even at that young age. But as Jerry said, I was going to tell you our part in all of this. And it's not works of flesh. We have an awesome responsibility to carry grace with honor and with dignity. It is not a cheap grace, like I said. If it was that, then what Christ did was not cheap. And I, um, you know, a lot of people quote, we are not to work out our salvation. But you know, the working of our salvation in our lives should be a testimony that allows those around us to see an awesome Father God, a glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, and a grace, and the grace that was given, and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. That is our responsibility. You know, last night... Uh, we had the grandkids with us. About 4 o'clock in the morning, they both ended up in bed with us. Well, there wasn't enough room for me, so I just got up. But I had not had time to read the paper, and I was glancing at the front page of the Herford paper, and right on the side they put, uh, what's inside? And I thought, what's inside of us? You know, we have, we're given choices, and really we are, you have choices all the time. 
But we always have two choices. We either have yes or no, accept or refuse. And we think, and we have the thought, that if we choose wrongly, it's going to keep us from simply not, you know, not, if we do it wrong, then we're afraid to move. And uh, I thought that fear or that thought that we choose wrongly keeps us from simply not doing anything. The fear of proceeding or moving, that fear of doing, it paralyzes us, which is exactly what Satan wants. Um, you know, you ask, um, especially little kids, you say, do you want to play a game? You know, they don't ask, what is it? Uh, they don't ask, um, how many are going to play? They don't ask, what are the rules? They don't ask, um, am I going to win? They don't ask, uh, what's in it for me? They don't say, um, you know, they, they don't do that. They're just willing to play the game. And I thought, you know, are we willing to do something <clears throat> for Christ without knowing everything that's involved? I hope we are because if we're waiting on the answers... We're waiting on actually a plan. You know, we always tell everybody, God has a plan for you, and he does. But I've known people that waited all their life to even, you know, experience that plan. So I've been asking the Lord, you know, I said, okay, I understand grace. I understand the new man. I understand a lot of things. But to me, it doesn't seem like um, I'm getting the revelation that, um, I need to have on that. You know, I, I grew up Baptist, like I said. There's denomination, but there's, I think, revelation's the most important, regardless of what church you go to or who you are. I had a dream several, I guess it's months ago now, because I've been praying about people, not me, especially not moving, and I was standing on a mountain, and there were people down below um, in rows. And they were playing Father May I, or Mother May I, sorry, Mother May I. And there was a leader down there standing in front of them. And she would say, take two steps forward, or so many steps forward, and nobody would move. And she would say, okay, take so many steps back, nobody would move. The only way they moved was side Side, and I stood there while I thought, well, surely they're just not understanding the instructions. So I thought, I'll go down there and tell them. So I went down and I looked at the lady and I said, they are not understanding your instructions. She said, yes, they are. And I said, no, they're not. We're arguing back and forth. So I said, let me show you. So I thought, I did it. They'd only move side to side. So when I woke up, I said, God, what is the meaning of that dream? He said, people are afraid to move forward. They're even afraid to move backward. They're afraid they're going to be wrong if they move. But moving side to side, you're not really getting anywhere. You're not advancing. And I got the word discontinuance, and I thought, that's not even a word. But, you know, the more I prayed about it, the more I realized it is a condition. We're afraid to continue. We're afraid to move. We're, 
we've, we have this revelation of grace and of what God has done for us and who we are in Christ, but what are we doing with it? You're not, not that you're supposed to do works. I'm not saying that. But is it actually becoming a revelation in your life to the point that everybody else around you knows it? I hope it is in mine. So today, Jerry prayed for a deliverance of the victim spirit before. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer to get rid of the discontinued spirit and to allow us to be free to move in grace, to understand grace, uh, just to be, um, and I think that's all my notes. Unless y'all want to know something about somebody on Facebook. (laughs) Okay. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for your revelation of grace. Father, I thank you that many years ago, Father, that you gave me a wonderful man that understood how to teach who you are in Christ and teach grace. Father, I thank you that this day we have the opportunity to move forward without fear, without thinking that we might be doing wrong, So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I come against that spirit of discontinuance. I bind and break its power now in the name of Jesus. I come against the spirit of of paralysis that has caused us not to want to move, not even caring. And in the name of Jesus, I bind and break that spirit now. And it is gone forever. Father, I just ask for a greater revelation of grace. Pour it on us, God. Pour it on us in the name of Jesus. I just thought of something, you people from Bovina. (laughs) My mother used to be in a, of course you won't know either, WMU group. They prayed. My mother, those ladies used to pray that the generations to come out of that town would be mighty men of God. And I got to looking. (laughs) And they are. Justin and Arlene aren't here. Arlene's, I grew up with Arlene's mother as a friend. And I, I thought this morning, wow. So be sure you pray for generations to come. It's important. Okay, anything else? By the way, discontinuous is a word in the dictionary. I looked it up. It's the fear of moving forward. Isn't that neat? Grace is an action word. Jesus told his disciples uh, in a parable in Luke 19.13, He said, occupy until I come. And I looked up the word occupy in the Greek, and it means doing business. Doing business. And I looked at the parable of this guy who, it says he was fixing to go into a a different country to possess a kingdom. Of course, this is a picture of Jesus. It said, then I will come back. So he took one man, and he gave him ten 
talents, which is, talents is money in the scripture. He gave him money, ten. And he, and he told him, you know, occupy. And then another guy came and he gave him some money and he gave one man, I think, two dollars or two talents or whatever. And then he come to one man and he gave him one talent. And he says he went away. That's what Jesus has done. And when he comes back, we give an account. And he comes to the guy that he gave ten talents to, and he says, what would you do? He says, well, I got you ten talents, and I traded and done business, and here is another ten, so you got twenty coming back. He said, well done, that good and faithful servant. And he went on down. I can't remember the exact quantity of two. The guy says, you gave me two? I've made two more. Here's four. He said, well done, that good and faithful servant. See, now, he, he didn't look at the amount that he was giving them. It's what they did with what they had. Then he come to the guy who had given one. And I want you to pay special attention to this one because I love it when God shows, shows you through somebody or whatever a thing of the Old Testament customs that relate to the spiritual things. And he come to this one guy and he said, What'd you do with the one that I gave you? And he said, I knew you was a hard man. So I wrapped it up in this napkin. And here's your one back. And the, the guy says, you foul thing, you. And he took that one and said, take that away from me and give it to the guy that's got ten. Now the thing I want you to, to, to center in on is the word Napkin. And I found out in the, the way that they, they did, if you like went to someone's house for a meal, and you ate, and it was good, you picked up the napkin, and you wiped your hands on it, and wiped your face, you crumbled it up, and you threw it in the floor. That was a symbol that, man, this was excellent. But if you didn't like what they did... You took your napkin and you folded it neatly and laid it beside your plate. And that was a symbol that you, you didn't do. You didn't do right. Now, when the disciples went to the tomb, they found the grave clothes in one place. But the napkin that had covered his face was neatly folded and laid it where the Jews could see it. Said, you missed it. You missed it. And I thought that was kind of neat. The word occupy, Dutch sheet has a, a definition that he uses. And I just had a senior moment. And it just went by. Did, did anybody catch it? Oh, oh, it's okay. But he says, occupy is a word that means doing business for God. 
Occupy means doing business for God. And he gave us the thing. He says, occupy till I come. Well, how do you occupy till he comes? You do the business of the kingdom. It's that simple. You know, this word discontinuance, which means a fear of moving forward. You can look it up in, in, in the dictionary. I mean, it's there. But you see, that thing has come across the body of Christ. We, we hear the old man, we hear the new man, and we don't want to mess up. So God tells you to do something, we stand still. Because we don't want to mess up. We might miss God. And God's not big enough to forgive you if you miss him. So we don't do nothing. We stand still. Now, when God tells us to do something, our responsibility to grace is to pray about it. And if that's what God says, we do it. Just like Elijah. God told him, he says, you know, I've got a provision over here for you. But you've got to go to where the provision is. If we don't go where the provision is, we missed it. You've got to remember that the word sin means missing the mark. That's why in God there's no little sin, middle sin, big sin. We, we try to categorize, well, you know, stealing's a, this sin, but murder is... God says... Sin is just when you miss the mark. And so there's no big or little sin in God. You just either done it or you missed the mark. I've missed the mark a lot of times. God tells you to be somewhere at a certain time. I can remember a story. <clears throat> there was a young man that used to live here in town. Uh, <clears throat> he had somewhat of a healing ministry. And there used to be a Christian bookstore down across from the post office. And he was in that post office. Not post, he wasn't in the post office. He was in the Christian bookstore looking at books. And this lady came in and said, I want you to pray for my husband. Said he can't, he has to lay in bed. He can't put his shoes on. Socks won't even fit. His, from his calf all the way to his toes is one solid deal. And so he said, sure. So he was walking around, and God says, be there at exactly 2 o'clock this afternoon. So he was dumb enough to go back and say, I'll be there exactly 2 o'clock. At 2 o'clock, he showed up, walked into the guy's bedroom, reached out and put his hand on his foot, and all the swelling disappeared immediately. The guy got up, put his socks on, put his shoes on. Now, if he'd have said, well, I'm busy at 2 o'clock, I'll go there at 3. I wonder what would have happened. The provision is where God tells you to be at a certain time. Our secret to, to following God is to listen to what his provision says and just do it. The secret to it is we're not responsible if we do what God says, we're not responsible for that outcome. God is. You can't heal anybody. You can't raise anybody from the dead. But you can if God tells you to. Jesus said, I can, 
I never can do anything except what I see the Father doing. And, you know, it amazed me because he walked by that gate of the beautiful several times. And this guy sitting there begging alms, crippled man. Jesus never stopped and said anything to him. God had a plan. After the resurrection, two of his disciples went by and says, Silver and gold have I none, but what I give you, here it is. Rise up and walk. And the guy went leaping and praising God and went into the sanctuary, leaping and praising God. That was the provision. I would like to be able to go into the hospital and just go down room by room by room, you know. Clear it out. God never told me to do that. See, as an individual and unique, God says, or, or scientist tells you, that there's no two snowflakes alike. You heard that? There's a lot of snowflakes. So if he has a plan for your life that's unique, you're the only one that can fulfill that plan. Isn't that neat? God loves you enough that he gives you one especially for you. I don't want to miss it. I spent a lot of my earlier years trying to pray and needing to read the Bible and trying to read the Bible and need to pray. I'm tired of that. I want to hear what God says do and simply respond. The responsibility of grace is obedience. God would rather have obedience than anything else that we've got. I believe one part of the scripture in the Old Testament says his eyes run to and fro through the earth looking for a servant to do his bidding. I'd like to be like Ananias. I'd like to be there crocheting or whatever he was doing. And God says, Ananias. He said, here I am. I want to be able to hear God like that. I want to be able to hear God call my name. He knows my name. He knew my name before I was formed in my mother's womb. And he knew I'd be as beautiful as I am now. Okay. I think we've done it all. Let's pray and you'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you that you do have a special thing for each one of us to do. And no two people are alike. We can't look at someone else and say, I'd like to do that and try to do that because it won't work. Lord, I just ask you to show us what our plan is, what our grace is in that area. And Father, we just thank you right now that you do bless us, that you've made us heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that we are in this world but not of this world. Teach us, Lord. Holy Spirit, teach us the responsibilities that we have in grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.